0: Okay, so I'm really happy to welcome on the show Mark Bauman, who is founder of 51 Ventures. 51 Ventures is a digital asset marketing and venture studio for brands that want to go into Web3. And if you're on LinkedIn, I would be amazed if you've not come across Mark and his sort of leadership. It's, It's pretty much everywhere because of its I guess breadth of coverage, but also a lot of depth there as well, especially in an age of AI-generated copy, you can tell that Mark does a lot of his thinking and writing himself, although I'm sure he's AI-augmented to a degree as well. So welcome on the show, Mark. so it's happy one as i said kind of big focus on brands and kind of consumer application of web3 technology and you recently contributed first of thanks you recently contributed to end of the year report which was really covering everything that's going on in web3 from deep into convergence with ai and, and you did this great section on brands and consumer application of web3 technology obviously last year, despite everything that was going on in the market, there was a pretty steady stream of news about brands kind of rolling out different technologies. I guess with different levels of depth, kind of some of it still felt quite campaign oriented, but you know, we ourselves have been working with a number of brands and we know that, that some are working on very, very deep integrations of this stuff across their kind of supply chains, the digital supply chain. So, Really excited to, I guess, expand upon some of the themes that you covered in that kind of end of year report, but then also to kind of get your perspective on things we should be excited about in 24. But maybe we we kind of start at the top. So it'd be great if you could kind of summarize, I guess, some of the key themes that you were highlighting from 23 in this space.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, again, super excited to be here. Thanks, Jamie, for having me. I think despite the crypto winter and like a beer market that we experienced in 2023, and I think it was a. Uh, a difficult time for many builders in, this, in the space. We've seen a lot of brands doing very interesting things. What we've seen in 2022 was an explosion of uh, new brands entering the space. I covered this last year. Uh, we had at the beginning of 2023, around 40 of the interbrand top 100 global brands already doing Web3 activations. And at the end of the year, there were about 47 of top 100 brands and over uh, 40 top brands recontinued with their activations uh, along during 2023. So it was quite an active year, quite a lot of experimentation still going on. And I think one of the key trends that we saw is the emergence of certain, uh, I would say, consumer verticals across those brands. And for me, there are at the moment four emerging verticals. The first one is tokenization and fidgetals. I think that has been a really recurring theme across luxury brands. Then loyalty, membership, and rewards as a second vertical. Uh, Here, we've seen a lot of experimentation from big brands going on. At the forefront, I would say, is Starbucks with their Odyssey program that they launched at the beginning of 2023. The third category I see as community and immersive commerce. And maybe we can talk about later how these like immersive worlds and community and gamification converge. That's a big theme across that vertical. Uh, here we've also seen like a lot of brands experimenting. And the fourth category I see as data and analytics. And that's really kind of all startups trying to build tools to take advantage of this new web three data layer that's emerging and trying to connect that to web two data and trying to get insights and help
0: brands like figuring out attribution audiences and things like this so if we maybe kind of take that sequentially at the top end you mentioned you know this comparison between 22 and 23 obviously in 22 there was a huge wave of brands that were brought in around the explosion of NFTs. I guess some understood why they were doing it and and others were kind of just trying to stay relevant. Some of those stayed, some of those left. Those that stayed seem to have kind of doubled down on things, they've kind of expanded the range of activities. And of course, you know, some also left and you know, who knows when they'll return. As somebody that speaks to a lot of brands on a daily basis, How would you understand the general attitude and sentiment to Web3 throughout last year? I still see a lot of brands experimenting
1: and kind of testing the ground of what this new technology could enable in terms of consumer engagement. And I see brands not entering the space with a mentality that Web3 is that kind of new technology that saves us from centralized platforms and brings back data ownership and all those more philosophical aspects that we as like Web3 native builders identify with. They're approaching the space more of a, what does this technology enable to create consumer engagement, to create new product experiences Um, around what we do already. Here, top priority is engagement. We've seen that from bigger brands like Gucci. They're doing a lot of different Web3 activations at the same time, whether they're blockchain-based or not blockchain-based across NFT collections, one-to-one collections, virtual environments, different platforms. Yeah, just very different kinds of activations at the same time and just trying to see what sticks what works what creates a lot of engagement and to be frank all those like virtual activations that we we've seen in the last year across Decentraland ex- across Sandbox across Fortnite across Roblox most of them happened in worlds that weren't blockchain based we see a lot more engagement on platforms like Roblox and a very different audience than you would see on the central end or the sandbox, and that's really what's important for brands eventually.
0: Yeah, I mean, understandably they have to go where the audiences are and and you're right, you know usually these activations are done in a broader metaverse kind of um, strategy, and ultimately the eyeballs albeit limited to particular kind of demographic, are environments like Fortnite or Roblox. They're not necessarily in kind of more open metaverse environments, at least not yet. And I think, you know, when you walk through those four kind of categories, I think the first one, fidgetals and an innovation and in luxury, is perhaps the more obvious in that effectively it allows them to monetize IP in a digital sense. It's a new revenue stream. It's actually a revenue stream with, significantly uh, lower overhead and cost structure because the supply chain is entirely digital versus a physical. So it's, it's almost a no-brainer. Like, why wouldn't you do that? I think the, the three others are perhaps uh, a bit more complex. So maybe, maybe we kind of focus on those. So the second one you mentioned was loyalty and Starbucks, I think was by far the kind of largest category there category leader in terms of innovating in Web3, maybe you could just talk through the Starbucks loyalty use case.
1: Yeah, so uh, that's a really interesting example of a loyalty experience done by a big consumer brand. And what's interesting about Starbucks is compared to other consumer brands that did loyalty activations like Nike, for example, they really focused on their core customers and their core product, which is coffee. So everything in the Starbucks loyalty experience, which is called Odyssey, revolves around coffee and revolves around their core customers really loving loving the brand, loving coffee, and uh, experiencing that. Now it works is the program is called Odyssey. Uh, It evolves in journeys. Consumers can join the program, which is still in beta, by the way, and on application only. They can join the program. They can do different journeys. Those journeys are all connected to the Starbucks brand, either directly connected to the products or any kind of other aspects of the brand, its history, whatever. And as they complete those journeys, they receive stamps. And uh, with those stamps, they unlock many kind of different perks and experiences depending on the level they achieve. And this can include like very simple perks, like new cops, uh, special edition merchandise, or even real life experiences where they meet with the Starbucks Odyssey community in some kind of store, have a coffee, grounding experience, or now uh, they just recently launched a in real life experience in New York where they would visit the Empire State Building, things like this. It's really about engaging their most loyal customers. And when you like run through the numbers a bit and look at on-chain data, you see that they attracted a lot of non-Web3 native users, but they also attracted a lot of Web3 native users. So it was kind of a testing ground for them in terms of audiences. And it's assumed that they have around 35,000 members by now, which is around 0.4% of their loyalty customer base. And as you know, uh, Starbucks has one of the biggest loyalty programs in the world. They have around 75 million people signed up to the loyalty program compared to around 300 million customers globally. So it's really a minuscule part. Still, and uh, that's a recurring theme around all our activations that we've we've seen so far. That those activations are mostly isolated from their core customer base and are still kind of running in experimentation mode. And if you uh, run through those numbers again, like let's get into the minds of the Starbucks leadership team. They've done this program now in the first year. They they look back and kind of assess what worked and what didn't work. And when you run through the numbers, you can see that they made around 900,000 US dollars revenue with the program. This includes all the like the limited collection sales they have of the stamps. This includes all the trading uh, fees and revenues, royalties they got. It's really like a small amount. But the interesting thing will be what happens if they roll this out. Uh, if they use the, what they learn now uh, in that beta program and like implement those mechanisms and that ownership experience and collection experience around those stamps to their core customer base, that could become a really like big revenue stream.
0: Yeah, no, it's a nice yeah. sample of data, right, where it's meaningful enough that they can extrapolate some insights. And as you say, if they if they can segment what's different between their core user base and other, other segments that they might have within that from a demographic perspective, alongside the Web3 user uh, and figure out what learnings are transferable to their kind of mass loyalty program. I think that's when it gets really exciting, right?
1: Yeah. 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 And maybe another point that's interesting about Starbucks is when you look at their go-to market strategy. What Starbucks did, as I I just said, is they focused on their most loyal customers. When you compare that to uh, another big consumer brand like Nike, and they also launched their Web3 platform this year, which is called Nike.Swoosh, Nike doesn't focus on a loyalty program for their most loyal customers around a core product. They really use that platform to experiment and acquire new audiences. And new new audiences are mostly uh, Web3 native people, some kind of like people that are interested in in new digital experiences and next generation consumers that are on those platforms interacting with that stuff. That's quite an interesting difference between Nike and Starbucks and how they approached Web3 as a
0: loyalty tool or as an acquisition channel. So it's interesting that there is a core of that is this kind of native web3 users as a segment and it's kind of obvious in a way because they're going to be the early adopters or something like this i know during the the kind of peak of the nft hype this was seen as this entirely emergent category of user now of course as as a lot of the pfp collections you know suffered you kind of lost a lot of that native community momentum but it's interesting to see that that as a as a subset i guess treated as a, a group of early adopters where they can experiment and test this stuff. But to what degree was this innovation or this kind of experiment crossing over into their mainstream consumer base? Was it a high level of adoption now as a segment?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And that's a core theme for all the brands experimenting in 2023, that it's mostly still a very like isolated activation away from their core co- customer base. And Starbucks did the same. I mean, it's an application only program for now. It's still running in beta and it's very limited to yeah, a certain amount of people. And yeah, so interesting will be how Starbucks now thinks about that first year of the program, how they think of continuing in it and how they think of integrating that into the normal Starbucks loyalty experiences it's just runs through an iPhone app.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's this kind of I mean, it makes sense to partition this sandbox effectively, where you're going to experiment with early adopters who are the Web3 natives from your mainstream user base, especially at a time when there's like a, a general well that happened last year, a generally negative sentiment towards crypto, right? A lot of Consumers came in at the top of the market. They'd lost a lot of money in, in the last uh, couple of years. You'd had the FTX implosion, which hurt a lot of retail. And maybe that's now changing as the markets kind of return ETFs are coming on. Crypto becomes a bit more a bit more accessible again. They might roll out and expand. But I guess it's going to be interesting to see what learnings they take from this kind of test, isolated test in, in, into the mainstream user base. You mentioned another thing, which was around the on-chain data. So you were able to assess like who's using that, that trial, presumably because it's been carried out in public on a public chain. And I know for some brands, that's a bit of a barrier, right? Why would I want to reveal effectively my CRM database of Web3 wallets, my customers, my users, and how they're interacting with me as a brand to my competitors? Do you know how brands are Thinking about that, because I guess from Starbucks' perspective, that was a big, it was a pretty brave step to do it on-chain. Do you think other brands are going to wait for zero-knowledge technologies to allow them to do this stuff without revealing all that stuff on-chain?
1: That's a very good point. I mean, everything is transparently recorded on the blockchain. And also now for other brands, you can see the revenue numbers, you can see their trading numbers. And it's really kind of a like, yeah, almost building in public f- for them. And when we think about loyalty, I think that's also, I would say, a big opportunity, but also a big downside. And uh, I just recently published uh, an outlook for 2024. And what I think is going to happen is there will be some kind of conversation across web three, long web three data and what happens with that data and who uses that data and how can users control what happens with their data. And as you said, I mean, at the moment, it's really uh, kind of a, a new wave of data, a new data layer that brands can access, that companies like Absolute Labs, like Cookie 3 can access to create user profiles, audiences, and which are freely accessible for brands that can be a big opportunity from like a a targeting perspective but it also makes them vulnerable because it exposes their audiences it exposes their communities and those users can now be freely targeted
0: that takes us to your fourth category which is data and yeah i mean i think the reason why we've been so excited by zero knowledge technology just kind of completed our, our second program now is that it allows for web3 to be private by default versus public by default you know ultimately putting that control into the consumer's hands because as you say there are risks to on the one hand having your kind of social graph publicly available for anybody to audit you know all your wallet interactions and stuff like that and then that coupling with your financial transactional data because people can see you know, all the transactions you're carrying out. So it's social interactions, it's financial transactions combined. It's the holy grail for marketeers and advertisers, but it's incredibly risky for the average person. Now that might be a generational thing because I know the younger the generation, the less they care about the stuff, the more they live in a public by default environment. But I don't know if you kind of have thoughts on that and kind of innovations that are happening in a consumer context around data
1: yeah so back to the basics around web3 data i mean what's really interesting at the moment for for brands is that they have some kind of new data layer with all those like uh, wallet generated data which includes uh, digital assets that those users hold in their data the d apps they connect with the communities they connect with and they connect that data to the Web2 data layer, which is, for example, social profiles, any kind of other like personally identifiable data. And they create user profiles that, are, that become really, really interesting for them to target. And at the moment, they have like different targeting channels they can use with tools. As I mentioned before, like Absolute Labs, Cookie Three, Addressable. They all have some kind of tooling that helps those brands use that data, create audiences and use the best. Acquisition channel that works for them, whether it's direct wallet communication, whether it's through an email address that they matched uh, to that person, whether it's through any kind of social platform. And yeah, that's the state of Web3 data at the moment. I would say it's still kind of in a nascent state and growing when you compare that to what's possible with data in Web2 we're we are still far away of that but it's emerging and there are like very interesting players building tools and there are also like the bigger companies now interested in that space like google and think about how can that data be used in that like a web3 era
0: yeah and we've seen some interesting startups come through the accelerator where As we might be moving away from, or at least have a parallel instance of Web3, which allows for privacy by default, users being able to commodify that data set, turn it into an asset that they can drive either an income from or they can use to pay for things. So, you know, you can use a DAP and you pay a premium, or you can make that data available to the DAP to be resold selectively, you know, based on certain parameters which can then offset the price of things. And we've even things, seen things like, you know, offset the cost of your Netflix subscription or something like that if you allow your data to be to be used. So it's gonna be interesting to see that from a data commodification perspective. And then I think the third, so we'll go back now, I think the third category that you mentioned, which I think was experiential, right? We had physical loyalty, data, and then was the, the other one around kind of experiential.
1: Yeah, community
0: and immersive commerce, yeah. Uh, So could you maybe talk us through that?
1: Yeah, a lot of things that we saw in 2023 have kind of an overlap between loyalty and community. And when you look, an example, when you look at what Nike did with the Dotswoosh platform, It was, of course, a loyalty activation because it lured in Nike fans, it lured in Nike enthusiasts, it made them interact with the brand, it gave them some kind of reason to continue interacting with the brand, but it was also a community. And community is a big theme around everything that happens in Web3. And I've written extensively about this. I think community is kind of a almost a new era for brands, for branding. I call this also community led brands. On one side, we saw this emerging from Web3 native communities. So communities that are based on NFTs, like Pochi Penguins, who now morph into almost kind of a company that commercializes their IP, that builds products that enters like the normal uh, consumer market with any kind of uh, experiences based on, on, on the Pachi brand and really like does that in a community-led way. So the community leads the brand, the community builds the brand, they're advocating the brand, they're IP holders, they're profiting from anything that happens in the market in terms of sales when they're like pochi is used on a toy they receive royalties and things things like this so it's really a kind of a community-led initiative and on the other side there are like the big consumer brands who start using communities as some kind of activation layer in their like engagement campaigns and this can happen on a 2D platform like Nike.Swoosh, but this can also happen within games. And if you look at the gaming consumer platforms that are emerging uh, with next generation consumers, which is Roblox, Fortnite, Zepeto, uh, and those are very, very very community driven and social experiences. So, so you're not, not there alone, you're, you're there with friends, you're interacting with people it's a very social experience, and i think brands recognize the power of using community to advocate for their brand to do brand building and to create a culture within that community that then shines back on whatever they do with their brand
0: yeah i guess the kind of keyword in all of that is ownership right both a literal ownership as you say through holding nft assets that give them direct exposure to ip and presumably increase in value or drive some kind of yield, as well as a feeling or sense of ownership, because they know that they're kind of contributing to the overall brand and its direction. And you're right, you know, there's kind of this top-down approach from major brands as they kind of open up to this kind of Web3 culture of ownership. And then there's these native brands that are emerging. And then we're starting to see, I guess, a a convergence of the two. You mentioned Pudgy Penguins. I know they've rolled out the physical merch through Walmart, And I know that they're kind of looking to roll out more traditional broadcast IP around that brand, I think in the form of cartoons and stuff as well. So super, super exciting moment for us. Mm -hmm. And and here again, the
1: core mechanism of like ownership and like participating in something and being part of the product and brand building itself. You can also say almost say it's from consumer generated content to consumer generated products. That's really, again, the core mechanism that drives
0: this. So so let's look forward then, as a great recap on everything that we're seeing. We saw in 23, presumably these trends is going to be a continuation of these trends in, into 24. What else are you most excited by in Web3 at the moment? And are there any kind of new projects coming to market that you're kind of, uh, you think people should be watching from an innovation perspective?
1: Yeah. What I'm most excited about is to see how consumer brands will start combining those four verticals into coherent activations and consumer experiences. As I said, uh, in 2023, we saw a lot of isolated experiments. And I think in 2024, we'll see a lot of That being connected, for example, you have a physical product that's tied to an NFT becomes a fidgel. This fidgel gives you some kind of loyalty experience in a brand ecosystem. Maybe it gives you access to a community member club maybe you can activate some kind of perks maybe it's even a gamified experience in some kind of like virtual platform where you can use that physical product tied to an nft to unlock again new rewards new experiences new communities things like this and What's really driving this, I think, are three bigger macro trends. The first one is that everything becomes omni-channel. Omni-channel means, I mean, uh, physical, digital, uh, across many platforms, across many different uh, virtual worlds things like this. And uh, then second one is gamification. And that really that's driven from that's driven by all those like gamified platforms that I talked before. And it morphs now into loyalty. It morphs into visuals. Because you have now endless, like endless possibilities, what you can do with those. And the third one is infrastructure, which I think is now ready to really like host those large-scale experiences that con- consumer brands need. So we have a lot of new tooling on the market, a lot of startups who can like provide solutions for that. We have a UX that becomes better and better and very easy wallet or onboarding experiences. And I I would say increasing oper- interoperability between those different assets, worlds, platforms.
0: Very cool. So, a lot, I mean, lots to be excited about there. And as you say, we, we're kind of also very excited about the possibilities in a consumer context. Once you have this maturation of the account abstraction, the wallet abstraction, basically, you know, the, the, the Web3 experience disappears. And as you say, the, the kind of brands can focus on this omni-channel activating the user wherever they are on the environment that they prefer. Well, look, Mark, thanks so much for coming on, sharing your insights with us and your contribution to the end of your report. We really appreciate it. Where can people find you? I know you're on a of different channels. I personally get your stuff primarily from LinkedIn, but how can people find you in your your content? Yeah, LinkedIn
1: is a good place or uh,
0: dematerialized.xyz.
1: That's the webpage for all insights. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on,
0: Mark. I'm looking forward to some more insights from you probably later in the year.
1: Thank you. Really appreciate it.
0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.